Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Horizon. If you're able to, would you please stand up and join us as we worship together? Come on.
Let your kingdom come here. Let your will be done here in us. Jesus, there is no one greater. You alone are Savior. Show the world your love.
glory reign Shining like the day King of heaven come Amen. Well, we continue in the book of Numbers this morning and we see again this desire of Balak, the king of the Moabites, to curse Israel. And so we'll see that he takes Balaam up to a high place to overlook the people, to curse them, and Balaam just can't do it. Instead, he actually blesses them. It says this in chapter 23, verse 8, How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And here's the blessing in verse 10. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? What I love about what we see here in this passage is God's not putting on some giant miraculous display of his power, but instead he's directly stepping in for Israel without them ever even knowing it. He's stepping into the plan to do evil against his people, and he not only stops it, but he reverses it and turns it into a blessing. And then in the same way that God steps in for his people, for Israel here, he intervenes for you. And he's behind the scenes right now battling against the plans of evil. And we know this because God's word tells us in Deuteronomy 1, verse 30, the Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you. According to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. See, the Bible's affirming that the God who was with you in the past, he's with you right now. And he's fighting for you. That's the God who we serve and the God that we worship here this morning. Let's sing.
all to join together to sing your praises, to worship you, uh, just to declare that you are our God. And Father, you know the battles that some of us are facing right now, and we're well aware of it as well. And Father, be with us. Give us peace. Give us wisdom. And for those of us who are maybe right in the middle of a storm of a spiritual warfare that we have no ideas is going on around us. Thank you, Father, that you are there with us. You are by our side, fighting for us every step of the way. That is how good you are, and that is how much you love us. We praise you for that here this morning, God. We ask that you would open our hearts, speak to us, uh, reveal more of your character as we study your word together. It's in Jesus' name that we all pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. So we've been singing this this morning, but I don't want you to miss this. We've just been singing about how Jesus is our king, how God has done great things, and that the king of heaven was willing to come down to this place to take everything we've ever done wrong upon the cross so that we might experience God's promises and God's blessing for us. Jesus is the king who keeps every single promise, and the enemy can't stop him, no matter how hard he tries. And he tries. In fact, that's what we've been seeing in this part of Numbers. God is bringing his people blessing, but behind the scenes there's this king named Balak who is doing everything he can to try to convince God to curse his own people. And I don't know about you, but like as I read through the book of Numbers, this felt like it comes out of nowhere. Like we're with Israel every step of the way, and then all of a sudden for three chapters, we're like, Israel is somewhere else, and it's all this Balak and this weird prophet Balaam. And I'm thinking like, what is Balak's deal? Like what does he have against Israel that he's working so hard to try to get them cursed? And I think Chad nailed it last week in one sentence. He doesn't want to end up like King Sihon and King Og. You see, just before this, Israel, as they're getting closer to the promised land, defeated King Sihon and King Og 
two of the strongest powers the world had ever seen, certainly the strongest in that area, because God is their king. See, Sihon trusted Sihon as king. Og trusted Og as king. Now Balak is trusting Balak as king. And so as you and I come into Numbers chapter 22 today, we have to be asking ourselves, who do I trust as king? There are things that we need to reckon and things that we need to recognize to relate to God and trust him as king. So you can open up your Bible or or pull it up in an app. Not all of the verses are on the screen this morning, but we're going to start in verse 36 today. It says, now when Balak, that's the king, heard that Balaam was coming. Okay, so Balaam is this, a guy in my group this week put it this way, he's a prophet of many colors. (laughs) So he's kind of like, if any spiritual force anywhere will listen to me, I'll make him a sacrifice and we'll see what we can do. So when Balak heard that this Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border at the Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, did I not earnestly send to you calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, look, I have come to you. Now have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. Catch that line because that's really important. You can feel the tension between these two. Balak is desperate to see Israel cursed because he doesn't want them to defeat him too. Balaam is perfectly willing, but he's starting to recognize that he can't do anything. He can't promise anything unless God has said that he will do it. So he actually makes this claim, Balaam does, this strange prophet that the word God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. So it goes on because now he's going to take Balak up to a high place, a desolate peak. And it says that Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath-Huzoth. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, a false god. That from there he might observe the extent of the people. Then Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me here and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, okay, are you losing track of who's who yet? (laughs) Okay, so these two guys go up to this pagan worship site, a false god Baal, and they're doing a pagan ritual kill this ram, kill that goat, okay, trying to get the one true God's attention. So Balaam the prophet said to Balak the king, stand by your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height. Now now here's the reason I want you to see this picture. Neil mentioned this, that what's happening right now is that God's people are completely unaware of this moment. In fact, it'll tell us later in the passage that Balak and Balaam are in a place called Pisgah. Well, Pisgah is where God's people were up on that height as they looked down over Sihon and Og. And then God says, we're going to win this battle and you're going to take the land. So now the people are down in the land, that lush, green, fertile land, and the enemy is up on the peak looking down at them. So this is meant to be like attack position. And quite honestly, 
like, it's like they're creeping up behind them. Like where Israel just was, now the enemy is trying to figure out how can we curse these people. So it goes on. It says that he went to a desolate height. Now this, if it wasn't weird yet, I feel like this is where it gets weird. And God met Balaam. Why? (laughs) What in the world is he talking to this guy for? And God met Balaam and said to him, and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars. I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he returned to him. And there he was, standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab, and he took up his oracle. So there's a couple strange things that we've got to unpack here to understand why this is happening. Because we keep calling Balaam a prophet, but Balaam is not a prophet like Moses is a prophet. He's not a prophet like Isaiah is a prophet or Jeremiah is a prophet. This is not like one of God's faithful servants who's willing to do anything to deliver God's message. This really is like a a prophet who's just kind of in touch with the spiritual realm in a lot of weird ways. Like the ritual that he uses to try to get God's attention does not get God's attention. Like, it, it's, it's weird. It's not what's described in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, or Numbers. And yet, the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. I think this is one of the classic examples where what the enemy meant for evil, God is turning for good. He could just ignore him. But God says, you know what? Okay, we'll talk. But you only get to say what I'm going to tell you. In fact, it's hinted at actually in this phrase, God met Balaam. Because that word met, that Hebrew word, is different than the word he uses when he meets with Abraham, when he meets with Isaac or Jacob, when he meets with Moses and Aaron. It's a different word. He invites them into his tabernacle, into his home. But when he meets Balaam, it's almost like he goes out to Balaam. The word is usually used for strangers, sometimes even for enemies. So you can think about it this way. A couple of months ago, I'm sitting at home. Uh, my wife and the kids were out, and the doorbell rings. Okay? So I go to the door, I open the door, and it's Carl, like one of my best friends ever, like since seventh grade and still today. Carl, come on in. <laughs> invite him into my home. So we're hanging out, we're playing video games, we're eating pizza. Actually, I invited Carl over that day. <laughs> so I was not surprised to see him there because we're friends. It's just the most natural thing in the world to spend that kind of time together. But a couple of weeks ago, the doorbell rings. You look through that little, and it's not Carl. There's somebody out there on a Segway with a clipboard. Now, I'm not going to say it was an enemy. (laughs) Certainly was a stranger. Um, You stay out there. I'll meet you for just a minute. But I'm very clear about what I'm here to say, which is I'm not interested. Thank you. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's kind of the way that God is approaching Balaam. What are you doing in this weird pagan Baal place? Tell you what, you stay right there, but I have one thing I want to say very clearly to you. And that thing is referred to as an oracle. Again, that's not a word that the Bible uses for the other messages of God's prophets. But that doesn't mean it's false. The word still captures this idea that there is something intriguing here. Something that we want to dig into, something that we want to understand, 
And God is actually showing us that despite the fact that the enemy is trying to curse, he has something that he wants to say. That he's going to use this moment that the enemy meant for evil to speak good to his people. So it says then in the next verse, he took up his oracle and said. So this now is Balaam speaking what God has given him. Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him. So check out in this phrase, curse, 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 denounce, denounce, denounce. You see that? Okay, the Hebrew does this for repetition to make a point. It wants this to stick in your mind. This is the enemy's goal. Curse, 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 denounce, denounce, denounce. That's what he wants for God's people. So keep that in the back of your mind as we keep going. For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number even one-fourth of Israel? Oh, let me die the death of the righteous. And let my end be like his. You see these phrases? There's, there's a really interesting contrast here. Because these two phrases identify both how God thinks about his people and how they think about themselves. When it says a people dwelling alone, the idea is there is not, not a picture of, of loneliness or solitude, but that they're set apart. That there is only one people who are like God's people. And you know, I have already seen that that doesn't just mean like blood descendants of Jacob, because they've had Egyptians join them along the way. You see as you go through Numbers and Deuteronomy and into Joshua, that there are Canaanites, like Rahab, who join God's people. Further down, there are Moabites, like Ruth, who join God's people. And that God's people dwell alone. They are set apart. But not only that, but they see themselves that way. They say that they are not reckoning themselves, right? This people does not reckon itself among the nations. What that means is not only are they set apart by God, but they actually choose to be different, to live differently than the people around them. Now, when you get to the next verse there, Balaam has a choice to make. That phrase, let me die the death of the righteous, that sounds a little bit morbid, but essentially what he's trying to capture is, oh man, I wish that by the time I came to the end of my life, you could say about me what you said about them, that they're blessed, that they're uncountable because God has protected them all through this wilderness. That's what I want. I want that kind of blessing. So I think it gives us a couple questions that we need to ask ourselves. How do I reckon myself? When I stop and think about myself, how do I reckon myself? Because that, that's active, right? Like, you actually have to take a moment as you're going through your day to stop and think about, who am I? Who do I belong to? How should I live? And so the questions, I think, that come from this for Israel is, do I live my life as if I'm different than the world around me? Do I live my life as if I'm different than the world around me? And maybe the question for Balaam was, am I asking for blessing without obedience? Like, he really loved what he was seeing about Israel, what God was saying about Israel. And if I could get on that, that would be awesome. Could I be a part of that? But he never actually wanted to trust God as his king. 
He never actually chose to follow or obey God. I want the blessing. I don't necessarily want to do it God's way. It reminded me, uh, a buddy of mine told me a story this week. He's a martial arts instructor. And so he's always trying to think, how do I help this student move from this belt up to this belt? Like to hit the next level in their martial arts. And so he was telling me how uh, one of his students, and he didn't give me a name, so I can't pick on the guy. (laughs) But one of his students, he asks him, okay, so are you ready to go for black belt? You want to get the black belt? Yes, I absolutely do. Okay, so here's our training. Here's the instruction. You've got to do it this way. And then as they start to work on it, the student is not doing it the way that AJ is asking him to. He said, okay, stop. It's got to be like this. This is how the discipline works. This is the way our art works. This is how you're going to win when you spar with another person. I don't want to do it like that. I like doing it like this. Hey, you can like whatever you want, but this is the way that it works. And this is the way that I'm teaching you to do it. So he got pushback kind of the whole way through. So then they get to the day where he actually has to spar. Like this is the assessment now. And so there's a martial artist on each side and his student is up against the competition and like instantly gets his butt kicked. <laughs> so AJ's standing here like, I, I, he's, he's doing everything his own way. Like I tried to show him if you actually want to succeed, there is a way to do this, but you've got to trust the teacher. And so then afterwards, the kid is shocked and appalled that he doesn't get to move up to black belt. And AJ's like, man, I, I can't move you forward if you're not going to follow my instruction. And AJ was sharing this with me because we were trying to process kind of what God is teaching us here about this. I thought, man, that's it. Like there are moments where I've told God, I believe you, I trust you, I know you're my savior. And he says, now let me show you what life could be like. And I know it means giving up this or sacrificing that, but let me show you the plan that I have and how it leads to blessing. And I'd say, maybe later. Let me try it my own way first, God. Like, that's kind of what Balaam is doing. I would love the blessing. I mean, I'm still, I would also love to get paid by Balak. So if we could do the curse and I can have the blessing of the righteous, is that, can we, can we work on this? Because there are times where we are hoping for the blessing without obedience. But I'll tell you, there is so much joy when you choose to follow God's plan and you see the blessing that he brings from it. And I, I could tell you stories. You know, I think of uh, my friend Colin decided that because of what Christ has done in his life, he wants to look different than the world around him. And so he had, let's just, well, let's just call it a blow up. He had a blow up in the office with somebody else a few weeks ago because essentially she started it and she's been doing this for a long time. And it was kind of like the protector in him was like, you know, people should not have to deal with this anymore. But coming out of it, he felt like he went over the top. So even though she wasn't sorry and even though she started it, he went back and apologized. He got good godly counsel and he felt like, I know that's different. I know that's not what I have to do, but I think in Jesus Christ, that's what I want to do. I think of my friend Matt. Matt was really exploring his faith. He'd actually found a tract and because of that tract, he, he didn't put his faith in Jesus yet, but he started doing homework. And as he did his homework, as he asked his tough questions, as he started reading the Bible, he became a follower of Christ And then he started looking at his life and saying, okay, so how does God want me to live? And so Matt actually decided that one of the things for him was if he wanted God's blessing in his relationships, then he wanted to do his relationship the way that God had described. So he actually stopped sleeping with his fiance and moved out. And she broke up with him. (laughs) And several months later, she became a Christ follower. They got reengaged and they got married later that year. 
because he felt like, you know what, if, if I really want God to bless the relationship that we have, if I want him at the center of our marriage, then, then shouldn't I try to do this the way that he's instructed me to? You know, I think of a friend who's dealing with anxiety right now and the way that that can seem like it controls your life. But if I'm different, if I want God's blessing, can I trust him even when I feel anxious? Can I continue to believe that my God is in control? Even when I don't see what's going on behind the scenes. You see, that's the picture of God that he is trying to give us here, even in these oracles from this weird prophet. Even as he continues to talk about how he blesses his people. So check out how King Balak responds in verse 11. Like, he's not happy about this. Then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Then Balak said to him, Okay, please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only the outer part of them. Like maybe if it's a smaller group, it'll be easier to curse. You won't see them all. Curse them for me from there. So he brought him to the field of Zophim to the top of Pisgah and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Yeah, love what happens in this moment. Because remember, curse, 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 denounce, denounce, denounce. Well, this phrase, blessed them bountifully. In the Hebrew, it's the same word twice in a row, and it's the word blessed. Instead of curse, 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 denounce, 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 it's blessedly blessed. Doubly blessed. Blessing beyond blessing. Abundant, bountiful, unstoppable blessing is what God is promising for his people. So Balak is beside himself. He thinks, we, we have to try this again. But here's what I want you to catch here. All right, so if we're reckoning ourselves as belonging to God, then you also recognize the absolute futility of the enemy to break God's promises. I mean, that is one of the absolute critical things going through all three of these chapters with Balaam. No matter how hard the enemy tries to convince God, no matter how many bulls and rams and whatever he is sacrificing, no matter how much he begs, it is futile. The enemy cannot break God's promises, and he cannot convince God to break his promises. And I love this, because you think about that moment. Israel is here in the valley. They don't even know this is happening. They don't even know those guys are up there. They only find that out later. Right? Like, they're just having lunch. <laughs> Meanwhile, God is silencing the enemy and exchanging his words for a blessing. You see, when we hold on to those kinds of promises, then we know that we have a God who is trustworthy no matter what we know we're going through and even the stuff that we don't even have a clue about. I was at the hospital with my friend Mike this week. He's been struggling with cancer, and he got pneumonia this week. So praise God, he, he just came home from the hospital last night, and he's on the mend. But talking to Mike and Teresa in the hospital, they keep repeating to me how they know God is trustworthy, and that's why they have to trust him. It's like, based on what, the cancer or the pneumonia? It's based on his mercy, his forgiveness, and an eternal inheritance. The fact that every promise God has made is yes in Jesus Christ so that no matter what my circumstances are here, I know God's promises to me have not been broken and they will not be broken. That's the kind of confidence we have in this God. 
So let's see if they have success in cursing them now. I mean, they did move to a new spot. Maybe that'll work better, right? I mean, you're starting to pick up on this as you read. But he picks up in verse 15 and says to Balak, stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Okay, very similar. I don't know what they think is going to be different. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, go back to Balak and thus you shall speak. So he came to him and there he was standing by his burnt offering and the princes of Moab were with him. And King Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? There's some part of him that still thinks this is going to work. What has the Lord spoken? Then he took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. I love this. This is the character of your God. He does not lie, and he will not change his mind about the good that he has in store for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. In fact, not only that, it's not just, leave me alone, Balaam. It's not just, no, I'm not going to curse them. It's, in fact, you have to bless them. Balaam says, I have a command to bless them. And check this out. He's going to bless them. That's present and future. And he has blessed them. You see, that's telling us that the promises God is going to keep, we can be certain of them because of the promises that he's already kept. That everything God has said he will do, he will do. So that when we look at things that are still future for us, like the return of Christ, the promise of eternal life, because of the promises he has kept, we trust him for the promises that he will keep. Now, I know that in Numbers, we are largely talking about the people of Israel, right? We're talking about the Jewish people. And yet, these promises are not only for them. The New Testament talks about how we inherit this as well. In fact, if you look at the book of Galatians, in chapter 3, it says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. How? in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That just like Rahab, just like Ruth, like Romans uses the language that we are grafted in to the people of God to receive these same promises. And I put this picture up here because if you recognize this, you're very close to this spot if you're sitting in the building or the tent today. <laughs> That's our atrium. The reason I show you that, and some of you might even be able to, to pick yourselves out of this crowd, is because we are the people who inherit the promises. Numbers 22, Numbers 23, the stuff we're looking at today is not left in the ancient dusty wilderness of the past. God wants us to read that today and realize he is still the same God who does not change his mind. He is still the same God who makes promises to you, and he is still the same God who will keep every promise. And here's what I want you to know about this picture. If all of the people in this picture... You know what, let's make this personal. If all of us in this room, in the tent, watching online, like if we all left this building, there would be nothing left in Horizon to inherit the promises. God doesn't want a personal relationship with Horizon Community Church. Right? God's not making promises to a building. The building is just a tool to give us a place, a space to spend time getting to know him. 
the promises are for you. His love, his mercy, his forgiveness, they're for you. That's why we built the building. <laughs> so we can share that message with more of our friends, our neighbors, our kids, our families, that we inherit promises. How is that possible? So Galatians says that this comes through Christ Jesus. And I want to show you how that shows up even back here in Numbers. Verse 21 says that he has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Now, fair enough if you're thinking, wait a minute, I've been reading Numbers. I've observed iniquity in Jacob and I've seen wickedness in Israel. The nuance seems to be that he knows it's there, but he's overlooking it. Kind of like the way the New Testament says he will remember their sins no more which is technically quoting it from the Old Testament, so God's been saying the same thing the whole time. <laughs> that seems to be the nuance here, because then it says that the Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. See the picture of a king right here? You pause in Numbers 22, verse 21, and you ask yourself, so who is the king of the Jews. Well, it is the Lord God. And it is only the Lord God. It's not Sihon, it's not Og, it's not Balak, it's not Moses, it's not Aaron, it's not me. It is the Lord his God. And how is that God described? With him. God with his people. Guys, no wonder when Jesus shows up and they call him Emmanuel, God with us? When the shout of a king comes out from the cross in victory, it is finished. When Jesus stands before Pilate and Pilate says, they're calling you the king of the Jews. Is that true? Jesus says, it is as you say. Guys, that's why they wanted him dead. He's claiming that he is the Lord God who keeps every promise. That even, it's crazy, even Balaam is given a word about the Messiah. Because that shout of victory is how God keeps his promises to us because he is the king. So not only do we recognize the futility of the enemy, but we recognize who is on the throne. He's on the throne of the universe, but he wants to be on the throne of your life as well. And I don't know about you, but this is hard for me. Like if this represents my life and who's in charge, all of us start life this way. And as we get older, we think about how we want life to go, and we do the things that we think are going to help life go the way we want life to go. And this, this is the target, and this is what I'm going to do. Then you meet Jesus. Right? Then you hear this message that everything I've done, past, present, and future, he took it to the cross and he died for me and he wants to save me because God loves me. God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son. And like that bronze serpent, all I have to do is believe in him and I'm saved. And then he says, now, now I'm the king of your life. Now we call him Lord. Now he says, Hey, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
And I say, yes, King Jesus, I love it. So why are you still sitting on the throne? (laughs) Oh, well, I just figured, well, I figured you get me into heaven, I'll take care of life here, right? (laughs) Okay, you're right, Jesus is king, so I should get off the throne. Is that good, Jesus? I think we can both kind of, then we'll do, I mean, just in case you need advice, right? We'll do this together. Right, but the picture that he gives us is that there is one king, there is one throne, and I do not belong there. And as much as I think, as much as I can fear, as much as when anxiety comes in, or when there are things that I want, I'm tempted to just kind of, can you scoot a little bit? You know what, here, I'll just, five minutes, okay, just five minutes. But here's what I love about what's happening with Israel in this passage. They don't even know what is going on behind them, and God is working for their blessing. And maybe you've seen that in your life. You know, these moments that you find out like, okay, so what happened 10 years ago? <laughs> like, was, thank you, God, I guess. I wasn't even thinking about that. You know, I know one of those in, in my life with my wife, Melissa, a number of years ago, she, she had a disease that, longer story I can tell you sometime, but as we were trying to figure out what is the solution and what is the surgery and flying out to Boston and all this stuff, we're like, Lord, please, you know, heal us. Well, years before that, we'd also really had trouble having kids. And we do have four beautiful children today that every one of them we felt like was a miracle. And we prayed for that, like, Lord, just help us to have children. And if that's your will for us, if it's not, we accept it. If it is, Lord, help us to raise them the way you would have us raise them. Well, we had no idea these two things were connected. Because it turns out that the disease was part of why it was so difficult and that the mortality rate for babies and mom, when you have this disease, skyrockets. And you're thinking like, I was praying we would have kids. I had no idea. I, I should have been praying and let this disease not affect them. And, and you, you just, we just had this moment in this doctor's office when he told us that after her surgery, after everything's looking good, years after you didn't even know that was a problem, that you're like, you protected us from something we didn't even pray about because we didn't even know. And guys, I I know that's just one example, and I know that's circumstantial. So broaden this thing out to your forgiveness, your salvation, and your eternal life. Is anyone here over 2,000 years old? You understand what that means? (laughs) It means when you weren't even thinking about it, while we were still sinners, before we were even born, Christ died for us. You weren't even in the valley having lunch yet to be able to not think about it. And God is thinking about how to guarantee his promise for you. So as Balaam finishes his oracle, he says that there is no sorcery against Jacob. God won't allow it. There's no divination against Israel. God won't allow it. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. Not what Israel has done, not what Horizon has done, not what you've done, not what I've done. Oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Yeah, who's on board for that? (laughs) It's meant to be a picture of complete and total victory. We rise because of what the King of Kings has done for us. 
So Balak said to Balaam, neither curse them at all nor bless them at all. Like if you can't say something terrible, don't say anything at all. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, did I not tell you, saying all that the Lord speaks, that I must do? Guys, the same truth for them is true for us. We rise because of what the King of Kings has done for us. In fact, if you look back at Galatians 3 again, we looked at verse 14, but I want to add verse 13. Because it says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You hear it? Curse, curse, curse. Just like the book of Numbers. But here's the deal. He did that, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You see, our king, oh, the enemy tried to stop him. The enemy thought, maybe if I actually kill the king, there will be no one left to bless them. But Jesus not only died, he rose again. Because Jesus is our king. He keeps every promise, and the enemy can't stop him.
Mark, thank you. The king on a cross died and rose again so that every promise is sealed. Every promise is yes in Jesus Christ. And so this week, I would encourage you, don't let the next seven days go by. I mean, come back next Sunday, but don't come back next Sunday without spending some time with God to reckon, recognize, and rise because of King Jesus. Maybe there's somewhere in your life that you know has been out of line with God's standard that you want to reckon yourself different than the world around you. And maybe it's to recognize that God is on the throne and that you can trust him no matter what your circumstances are right now. Because we rise in victory. And one of the things that happens when we rise, then we have the chance to blessedly bless others the way God has blessedly blessed us. And so you may see it in your program, but you'll also see it in the hallway. We're doing a food drive for IPM right now because there are a lot of families that in this summer season, the kids were counting on school for food. And so we're doing actually a breakfast food drive to help feed them through the summer as part of partnering with IPM. Just one of the ways that our victory in Christ, our blessing in Christ, blesses others. Would you pray with me? Our God in heaven, we are so thankful, so thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience to the cross, that you wore a crown of thorns even though you are the king of kings. For this, we worship you, we praise you, we thank you, and we love you. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next week.